study a new book starting today, the book of Colossians. We finished Philippians last week. So just continue after Philippians is Colossians, uh, one of the prison epistles of Paul. And if you'll turn to chapter 1, verse 1, we'll begin reading there. The book of Colossians. Before we get into our study, let's pray. Father, we do ask that as we embark on this new study, we're thankful that we're here on this memorial weekend. And Lord, we do want to remember those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our nation. We have been a nation that have enjoyed its freedoms. And Lord, because of those who defended those freedoms. And Lord, we thank you for those who have served honorably. We're grateful for those who are active duty right now. We don't want to forget about them. And we don't want to take for granted how they defend our way of life, the freedoms that we have. So we do pray for our nation right now. We pray that there be a return to you. When we look around, of course, we get very concerned. It seems like we're getting further away from you. It seems like we're getting further away from decency, what is good and right in your sight. And Lord, I pray that there would be turning back to you. We need you. We need you as a nation. I pray that there's a turning back to you, Lord, in every way, in our leadership, in our communities, that the church would stand for righteousness and truth and be a light. So we're very, very grateful for your word given to us. And this morning, as we study your word, I pray that we would be attentive right now. And we would take in these things, the greetings that Paul gives to this church. We learn from that. And as we go through this epistle, this supremacy, this all-sufficiency, and Lord, the deity of Jesus Christ being established in the truth of the gospel. So we give this time to you in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul would be on what was known as his third missionary journey. He would come into the city of Ephesus. Ephesus at that time, 2,000 years ago, was a major city of Asia Minor. Today it's in that area known as Turkey. And the Apostle Paul, as he's given the gospel, ministering there, the city revival breaks out. And we know that many got saved. And Acts chapter 19, verse 20 tells us that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So much so, so many people were getting saved that people were voluntarily coming. And they were bringing their occultic books and their magic books and they were burning them. Also, we know that in the city of Ephesus at that time, there was the Temple Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, a magnificent structure. And it was dedicated to the pagan goddess Diana. And there was a lot of silversmiths that were in uh, Ephesus at that time. And they would make these little statues, silver statues of Diana. And the city was given over to the gospel, so much so that people stopped buying those little idols, those little statues. So what happened was, is that the silversmiths, they, they thought, because of Paul and his ministry, that we're no longer making a profit. Uh, Paul has put us out of business was their mindset, but in reality, it was the Lord. They began this big riot, and Paul eventually would have to leave the city. He was driven out of the city. 
He would then go to Macedonia, and from there in Macedonia, he would write his second letter, or what we have, Second Corinthians, in the New Testament. And as he writes to the Corinthian believers, he begins the epistle by saying that when we came out of Asia, we were pressed beyond measure. It was very, very difficult. So Paul the Apostle in the city of Ephesus at that time, the third missionary journey, and, and Paul stayed in Ephesus during that time for three years, longer than any other city and uh, on his missionary journeys. And as we know from Acts chapter 20, verse 31, being there for that length of time, we also know from Scripture that for two of those years, he would teach the new disciples, the, the converts, at the school of Tyrannus. Um, and he did that for two years. And it would be at that point that many of those disciples would go out and they would plant churches throughout Proconsular Asia. And many of the churches that you read about in Revelations chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches, they were established because of Paul teaching at the school of Tyrannus. And then those uh, disciple students, those uh, missionaries, if you would, would go out and plant those churches throughout that area of Asia Minor. It's interesting that later on, when Paul, he left Ephesus, he would meet with the elders of Ephesus at Mylita. And as he's addressing them for the last time, he would say to them that I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. In other words, in those two years, he taught them all of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, I would have loved to have sat in on some of those Bible studies of Paul the Apostle. So there was a lot of fruit as a result of that time of teaching and discipling as people were being taught. There was one particular young man. His name was Epaphras. He ends up getting saved. He is discipled and taught by Paul the Apostle. He would then go back to Colossae, which was a smaller city about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was in a valley called the Lycus Valley. And in that valley, you had the city of Colossae. Not far from there, about 10 miles away, you had the city of Areopolis. And also nearby was another city called Laodicea. Now, Laodicea may ring a bell with you because we know that, first of all, kind of an interesting side note, that Paul, he would uh, write a letter to them in this prison in imprisonment, this first imprisonment, the, uh, the prison epistles that we have in the New Testament are the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians, Philemon, and then Philippians. But during this time, he wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea. We don't have that letter in the canon of Scripture, so we don't know what Paul wrote to them. We do know as we go through this, this uh, book of Colossians that he will mention the letter that he wrote to them. And at the end of Colossians, he says, the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans, you guys need to read it. And the Laodiceans need to read the epistle that I wrote to you. As we know that we don't have that letter to the Laodiceans, I would have loved to have seen that letter or know what was in it because it was over 30 years later that Jesus wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea, didn't he? In Revelation chapter 3. And in that valley that where Laodicea, Colossae, and Areopolis was, 
there was a lot of earthquake activity. And Laodicea would eventually be destroyed by an earthquake. Now, Areopolis, they had hot springs that were there. And they took the hot water, they built an aqueduct to take that hot water and flow it down the aqueduct to Colossae, or to actually to Laodicea from Areopolis. And by the time it got to Laodicea, the water would be lukewarm. Does that ring a bell? Because that's why Jesus used that powerful analogy as he calls the church at Laodicea at the end of the first century, you're the lukewarm church. You say you have need of nothing. You say that you're rich and and yet you're poor. You say you're clothed but you're naked. So Jesus didn't commend them on anything. He had very harsh things to say to the church at Laodicea. So some interesting side notes historically concerning the the churches there in, in communities in the Lycus Valley. There is no evidence that Paul ever visited the city of Colossae. But he knew some of the Christians that were there. He knew Tychicus and Onesimus and Philemon and Epaphras and some of the others. They will go through and he's going to list here and give his greetings too. So the third missionary journey. Paul leaves Ephesus and it would be shortly after that that we read the events of Acts chapter 21 through 28 which would lead him to Rome in his imprisonment. Uh, We talked about that quite extensively in the book of Philippians. And it would be there, Paul writing the the prison epistles, those four epistles that we have in the New Testament, plus Laodiceans that he wrote a letter to that we don't have. So Paul was used of God in that imprisonment. Remember in the book of Philippians, he said that my chains are for the furtherance of the gospel. He he gave, last week we saw at the end of the book of Philippians, those of Caesar's household give their greetings. Some of uh, them were getting saved. So Paul did a lot of ministry in prison, um, and he would write letters. He would pray for them, as we're going to talk about, and he would also give the gospel. And as he didn't come to Colossae, as I mentioned, he never visited the city personally. He was very familiar with his church. And whenever God is working, we know that Satan is working as well, trying to stop that work that God is doing. And what prompts Paul, the apostle, to write this letter, of course, he's inspired by the Spirit of God, is he's going to be refuting a false doctrine that had crept into the church of Colossae. It was the beginnings of what was known as Gnosticism, and we'll talk more about it as we go through, particularly chapter 1, what that teaching taught and what the Christians were hearing and the false teachings that were taking place. But essentially what it did, Gnosticism, it would deny the deity and the supremacy and the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So Paul has a lot to say about that, about the deity, the supremacy, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He exhorts them to grow in spiritual maturity. He's going to write to them concerning legalism that, again, they were dealing with. We know that the church of Philippi was dealing with legalism and those Judaizers telling the Gentile Christians they had to be circumcised. Paul's going to be dealing with the Colossian believers noting that those who come and bring mysticism and false visions of angels and false humility. He's going to remind them and us that we have everything that we need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And listen, right doctrine is important because what we believe determines how we live. Wrong doctrine leads to wrong living. And Paul will powerfully apply the preeminence of Christ to daily living. 
So that's the theme of the epistle, the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Let's begin to look at the book of Colossians. As we begin in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. So Paul, he writes to them in the opening of this letter, I'm an apostle by the will of God. Now, you might recall if you were with us in our Philippian study that when he opened up that letter, uh, he would say to them, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Here he's establishing his apostolic authority. I'm an apostle by the will of God. And the reason he does that is because he is going to be establishing truth. He is going to be establishing important doctrine uh, that, that they need to be established in. So not being there in Colossae, not knowing some of the Christians that were there. He was familiar with the church. He knew some of the, the leadership and that was there and some of the Christians. He, he is establishing his apostolic authority. Listen, I am an apostle not by man, not by being a self-appointed apostle, but by the will of God. So establishing his apostolic authority, he needed to do. Now, to the church of Philippi, he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He had that special relationship with them. Uh, they, they were very close to Paul. Paul, of course, had been to Philippi, not only establishing the church, but visiting them as well. We know that Paul says, and Timothy, and most of you know Timothy, was that son of the faith, Paul calls him. Joined Paul on that second missionary journey when Timothy was just a young teenager. Matter of fact, Paul's closing words in 2 Timothy, that Timothy, you know my manner of life. You know my persecutions that came to me at, at Lystra and Iconium. It was Timothy that probably saw Paul be stoned and left for dead. So Timothy was faithful to Paul, uh, ministered alongside of Paul, was discipled by Paul, a young protege of Paul. The, the, he would be uh, established as, a, as the pastor of uh, Ephesus after Paul's first imprisonment. He's released. He says to Timothy, I'm going to establish you as the pastor. That's what First Timothy is all about. And then Paul, his last uh, writings that we have in the New Testament is right before he is executed and he writes to Timothy. So we're very familiar with Timothy. And he's writing here to the Christians to the saints in the city of Colossae. It's an introduction that Paul used regularly with the Christians that he wrote to. He referred to them as saints. Now, perhaps uh, you did like I did. I grew up in the Catholic Church. We would hear about saints, and uh, we were told even to pray to saints. We know that we only have one mediator. That is Jesus Christ. We don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to Mary. But a saint was established after their death, and they, you know, were canonized by the church. Listen, I want you to know that the biblical definition of a saint is a believer. If you are a believer, you are, by the definition of Scripture, you are a saint. So you're either a saint or you ain't, okay? If you're not a believer, you're not a saint. Somebody might say, they're such a good person, they're a saint. But it's a term for Christians, um, and what gets my attention here, though, as I read this, is that he refers to them not only as saints, but he calls them faithful brethren in Christ. And that is something special to have someone like the apostle here refer to the believers as faithful brethren. And I really believe with all of my heart 
that he would say that about many of you here at Calvary Chapel. And I don't say that to boast in ourselves, but just thinking about what God has done here, the ministry that has taken place over the years, and just the faithful brethren that are here serving and ministering in different ways, how you're ministering to your family and how you're ministering out in the community. But as he continues to greet them, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The dual greeting of grace and peace to you. And as we continue reading, we're going to see that it's a heartfelt greeting to a group of people that he didn't know all of them. He never visited them personally. But as he continues greeting them, verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father for Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word and of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has always in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul telling us something of this church at Colossae, telling us of their faith and love in Christ. And just as we saw that he would say to the church at Philippi, as he wrote to them in chapter 1, did I give thanks to my God upon every remembrance of you here to the church at Colossae, he says, we give thanks to God praying always for you. Paul praying for the believers in Colossae. And remember, he hadn't been there, yet they were on his prayer list. We pray for you always, and we're thankful for God for you. He didn't say, well, I've never been to Colossae. You know, they're kind of on their own. I, I got other churches that I'm closer to. No, they were important to him. And as I have said, and I want to remind you here this morning, that I hope that you're thankful for the brethren, for the family of God that he's put together here, for the fellowship that we have, that you pray for others that are here, and, and, um, and you pray for the brethren, but also to pray for those that maybe perhaps aren't a part of our fellowship. Maybe a ministry that's on your heart, you pray for them. Uh, as I said last night, there was those who gathered who were praying for Vacation Bible School, praying for those who are going to come, uh, visitors and others, and that just touches my heart that we would have a heart for our community, that we would have a heart for others. We pray for those down as we support missionaries in South America and in Africa. But we would, you know, add them to our prayer list and praying for one another and for others that perhaps that, that we have some linkage to. And the reason that he was thankful and committed to pray for them is because, number one, as we take note here, that he had heard of their faith in the Lord. And then second of all, the love that they had for all the saints. Thirdly, verse 5, as we read, because of the hope that they had of heaven. And then fourthly, verse 6, they were producing fruit in their lives. And I point out these four characteristics that are described of the church of Colossae because I believe that they are four characteristics of a mature church, but also of a mature Christian. First of all, your faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting in him and what he has done for you on Calvary's cross. And dying for your sins. And who he is, the son of God. Believing that he is the second person of the Trinity. 
And that's going to be really important because since they are dealing with, or he's dealing with the false teachings of the Gnostics that would deny the deity of Jesus Christ. So believing in who he is, faith in him as Lord, believing that God raised him from the dead bodily. Again, what the Gnostics were teaching is that all matter is evil. So your body, your flesh and bones and are evil. The trees are evil. The rocks are evil. The chair you're sitting in is evil. And so Jesus could not have had a body. So they would deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we know that Paul would make the strong cases. He's talking about the resurrection, that Jesus died. We know from the Gospels that he would suffer bodily. He was beaten. He, that scourge was put on his back. He was whipped. Uh, he bled. Uh, he, as he was hung on that cross, hanging on the cross bodily, he died a physical death, and he was put into the grave, and he bodily rose from the grave. And Paul says because he rose from the grave bodily, that's the very foundation of our faith. So they came along and said, well, Jesus didn't really have a body. It looked like he had a body. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about what they were teaching that was wrong and false. So they had faith in Jesus Christ. And then secondly, Paul was thankful for their love for all the saints, verse 4. I would have loved to have visited this church. I'm sure that Paul would have too. To see their love, to receive their love. And I pray that that would be said of us here at Calvary. It's a wonderful thing that Paul says concerning this church. And of course, the New Testament has a lot to say about loving one another. Jesus said that they shall know that you're my disciples for your love for one another in John chapter 13. John, the apostle of love, would write about loving brothers and sisters in his first epistle. Paul, when he addressed the Corinthian church that were exercising the gifts, he writes, now I'm going to tell you a more excellent way. And he talks about agape love in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And as I said, I hope it's said of us and that we are known for, of this church, our love for God and our love for one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last exhortation that Paul gives to them, he says, do all things with love, above all else. So I've heard of your love. I've heard of your faith, he says to them, from this prison cell in Rome. And I pray that as you come through these doors and as others, that they and you would perceive the presence of the Lord, but also the love of the Lord. And that would be a priority here at Calvary Chapel. Sometimes, and you've heard me say this before, and I don't mean to get on a soapbox or anything, but sometimes churches, they, they kind of lose perspective. It's very easy for any of us to do that or any ministry. We want to be known for the holy happening that takes place, for the building, for the cutting-edge worship or social media. or We need to, to have uh, a pastor that comes in who's a dynamic speaker to draw people in. Listen. We can get so sidetracked that we can forget about what really is important to the Lord and what Scripture tells us. And that is loving God and loving people. And that's what the great apostle says to them. That I thank God for you and I pray for you always because I've heard, I've heard of your faith. And I've heard of your love for all the saints. And I hope that it is said of us at Calvary Chapel for others that are out in that community 
that are hurting and need to see the love of Jesus Christ, that you sense it as well. And then thirdly, because of the hope, verse 5, as we read, which is laid up for you in heaven, and because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven. And a mature Christian in a mature fellowship would have the priority of heaven, you know, that is in their hearts. We understand that we have the hope of heaven. Now, when we read that word hope in the scripture, it means absolute certainty. That's what it means. You see, we use it differently in our modern language. People who are not Christians, they say, well, I hope there is a heaven. I hope I go to heaven. No, you and I, as we read the scriptures, we have the hope of heaven. Big difference. We can know it with certainty because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our love for him. And I want to remind us that all throughout the word of God, we're told to focus on eternity, to keep eternity's perspectives and and views a priority in our lives and in our hearts. Jesus would command us, it's not a suggestion, that he would say, be the wise servant that's looking for the master's return. Jesus said in John chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. We are to keep a heavenly perspective and focus and live for the eternal, prioritize the eternal, not the temporal. Jesus would tell you and I, don't lay up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So the question for me, the question for all of us here on this Memorial Weekend is this. Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure, honestly? Is it the world? The things of the world? If that's your treasure, that's where your heart's going to be. But if our treasure is heaven, and we look forward to heaven, that we're just so thankful because we have the hope of heaven. Our treasure is there. That's where our heart's going to be. Heaven, which is for all eternity. And on this side of eternity, it is short, life is. And knowing that we have the hope of heaven, we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you, Jesus says. So don't get caught up with the temple that you're no longer prioritizing heaven. Because heaven is for eternity, time without end. So as we read this, Paul is thankful for their faith, their love, their hope. That should remind you of something. The three great virtues mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. Faith looks upward to God. Love looks outward to others. Hope looks forward to the future. Faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present. Hope looks to the future. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews 11. Hope does not disappoint, Romans 5. And the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13. And as you have faith, hope, and love, those things that are mentioned, being worked out in your life, the result is going to be what? 
Well, Paul mentions that as the fourth thing that he was thankful concerning the saints of Colossae. The fourth thing that caused him to pray for them constantly, again in verse 6, and bringing forth fruit. Fruit's going to be produced. And it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Having faith in Jesus Christ, having love for God and others, having a hope of heaven, as you prioritize heaven in your life, there will be fruit that will be in your life, lasting fruit, fruit that is being produced by the work of God in your life, the work of the Holy Spirit. Since the day as we read that you heard and knew of the grace of God and truth. So it was when they heard the truth of the grace of God, they began to bear fruit, godly fruit. Now, Papyrus here, seeking out Paul there in Rome, because he knew that there was a serious threat there in the church of Colossae, as well as other churches in the first century, Many which were established by Paul, but there's that false teaching, heresy. And it was spreading. The legalists, again, not only were they a problem in to the Gentile believers telling them they had to be circumcised, but Gnosticism is beginning to develop here. Uh, material is evil. Jesus didn't have a physical body. And it, wrong doctrine would bring wrong living. So what happened was there's two camps of many who embraced Gnosticism. There's one camp that they would kind of turn inwardly and they would become kind of like monks. They would just isolate themselves, you know, just deny themselves, you know, of, of pretty much anything they could enjoy. Um, all these things, you know, bread and water kind of mentality. The other side of the spectrum was there are those who said, well, since our bodies are evil, Nothing I can do about it, so I might as well eat, drink, and be merry and just live any way that I want and indulge in all kinds of sinful living. Also, the Gnostics were coming along, Gnostics, Gnosticism, which means to know. And what they were saying is, we have a unique knowledge. We have a special knowledge. We have special revelation that nobody else has. Now listen, always remember this, because there's a lot of voices that are out there. If anybody comes along and says, I have a new revelation, revelation I have a new teaching uh, I, I have this special knowledge that nobody else has first of all you're to test the spirits to see if they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world John writes in his first epistle and if it's new it's not true it has to line up with the word of God I don't care how much they claim to have special knowledge or visions or, or revelations or any of those things. Too many people and too many Christians even are embracing something that somebody says that does not line up with the word of God. And it is false. Jesus warned us, last days, there will be many, not a few false prophets that are out there. So what I'm saying is, this is going to be important, the book of Colossians, but also all of scriptures, and why we spend time going through the word of God so you can be established in truth. And we are to test the spirits and run everything through the word of God. So Paul here, by his apostolic authority, inspired by the spirit of God, will once again remind them of the truth of God, the grace of God in truth. And we will continue with this letter, the essential truths of the gospel, and as I mentioned, the sufficiency and deity and preeminence of Jesus Christ that was being attacked and challenged and denied. Uh, Paul going to establish them in truth so they can continue 
in that truth and continue living in a godly way. In verse 7, and you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So what a commentary on Epaphras. He's a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. And to remind you, not only did Jesus in Matthew 24 say, be the wise and faithful servant that watches for his master, but also be the wise and faithful servant is the one who his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant when his master, when he comes, will find so doing, and surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. The Lord desires for all of us to be that faithful servant for him, to take care of the master's good, to feed people the word of God, the truth of God. Do you realize there's a lot of hungry people out there? People are are hungry for truth. I believe they're hungry for the word of God. It's such a mistake when churches say, well, you know what? Bible teaching is boring, and what we need to do is we need to entertain people or hype people. We need to give people the word of God, the gospel. Amen? Because people are hungry, and it's, it's food for our soul, and, and it establishes us in truth. So here he says, be the faithful servant to us, Jesus. We're reminded of Epaphras, who is a faithful servant. And I know that many of you, that you continue to be faithful where God has placed you and where God has you. But it's very easy to, again, get weighed down, uh, to be, you know, sidetracked by the things of the world. And what we're going to see here at the end of the book is Paul's going to write about Demas, one of the uh, people of the Church of Colossae. He says, Demas greets you guys as fellow servant of the Lord. But what is interesting, that when you do a little bit of digging, at the end of his life, Paul, about six years later, he writes it, some of the last words. He says, Demas, he's forsaken us because of love for this world. And I pray that that would be said for none of us. Listen, we have jobs. We have businesses. We have family. We have things, cares of life that are a part of our lives. But what my prayer and hope for all of us is that we would never let those things pull us away from prioritizing, just serving the Lord. And wherever he has you, whatever he's doing through you, guys working hard for your families and providing for them, or raising your children in the ways of the Lord, or taking care of your elderly parents, or some ministry, discipling others at work, whatever the case may be, because we do all things. You have a ministry when you walk out of this place. Because all the things that we do in life, we do all things unto the Lord. Amen? Just keep him a priority and be faithful to living for him and speaking the truth, the truth of the gospel to others and being a light to others. But don't be pulled away by the world. Demas has forsaken us. And I think Paul, as he's ending his writings to the church there before he's beheaded, he's just brokenhearted because a love for this present world. Listen, this world will leave you empty and deceived and wiped out, and you don't want to do that. Be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So, Father, thank you. Thank you as we desire to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
in living for you and just all that we do. We do with love and we do it faithfully unto you. And so, Lord, help us in that. We want to please you. Lord, we want to honor you, walk with you, to learn of you. I thank you for this epistle that we're going to go through. That we get to learn and be established in the deity, divinity, and supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we can be established in truth so we're not deceived. I pray for us that we would be ones. Lord, that we would desire to be, first of all, Christians and a church. That we would love you with all of our hearts. And we would love others. I pray for Calvary Chapel that we'd be known for that. That we'd be known for just being a light. And Father, I pray that as we go out of this place, we do go into our mission field wherever we're at. And Lord, that we would do all things unto you, pleasing to you, being faithful to you, not being pulled by the world, deceived by the world. Father, I just thank you that we can gather here for the brethren that are here, that we get to encourage one another and pray for one another, how we need that. May your love be perceived. And I do want to pray for anyone who's here. You've never come to the gospel. That is your hope. That's the the message of hope we have for you. The only real hope there is. That Jesus Christ died for you. Loves you. Died for your sins. And if you are not right with God. If you have not repented. And come to Jesus believing that he died for your sins and rose again. Today is the day of salvation. The greatest need for any man or woman is to be forgiven of sin. That's why he came, because of his love for you. To die and make atonement for your sins. And he validated it by rising bodily from the grave. He loves you. This world is not your hope. Jesus is. Will you come to him? Tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And call out on the name of the Lord humbly, confessing you're a sinner, saying, Jesus, I come. And I am a sinner. Forgive me. I believe you died on the cross for me. You were buried and you rose again. That you are the Son of God. I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do thank you for this new beginning and bringing me to the family of God. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Father, I pray you bless everyone here as we go out into our mission field. Bless our weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.